I, I resonate with my sister, uh, not because I think I've been preaching well, but because I think God's word's been speaking to me as we've been in this series of Nehemiah. So I've been, I've been blessed by what God's word has been saying. Uh, I, I uh, need to go to this spot soon. Our brother James uh, is is uh, finishing up Barber College, and uh, his brother's going to be cutting some brothers up, and don't look at me too close, but I need to head up in there now. Hairline struggling a little bit. Y'all said don't look too close. Um, so in the barber shop, whenever I'm there, that's one spot that lists always come out. Lists. Top five soul food restaurants in Detroit. Top five Jordans of all time. Like, which ones? Did, did you like the retros or like, okay, so now top five rappers, go. And we get to dialoguing and going there and, and these lists keep flowing because we all have somewhat of different opinions, somewhat different taste. I mean, R&B. We talking about old school. We talking about new school. Usher or Aretha? Like, where are we going with this? Top five, you know? Like, we begin to have these convos and these lists flow, and it's cool to see the creativity we have because we have certain criteria that allow somebody to make it on our list. If it's rapper, if it's restaurant, whatever it is, there's a certain criteria that we are judging to allow it to make it on our list. Well, God gives a list. He looks down and says, man, I see these beautiful people that I've created, and I've got some expectations, and his expectations or his list that he created for us is actually 10 things found in Exodus 20. It was the Ten Commandments. But we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah this beautiful kind of shortened list of what it looks like for a people to recommit to what God desires of them, to reconnect, to be revived in him. There's some things that's on God's list that he wants us to be about. So would you uh, turn to chapter 10 of book, the book of Nehemiah with me? And... Uh, we will actually be starting at the last verse of chapter 9, verse 38. But if you've been with us on our Nehemiah series, this series focuses on revival. Uh, and we said that at one point, hey, if this, if this podium right here represents God and it represents who God is and it represents his majesty, his holiness, his beauty, and right here is God, when you got saved, you were right here with God. I mean, you clung, clung, yeah, we're going to make that a word, that you clung tight to God. You were intimately close. You were in his presence. He grabbed your heart, and you knew, oh, I'm going to live for this God. But then over time, what begins to happen is this really tight, close-knit relationship can at times be lulled to sleep. And there can be some disobedience where you, you take two steps for Christ and then you take three steps away from Christ and you take two and then and before you know it, slowly but surely, that same fervor, that same passion, that same connection gets lulled to sleep a bit, 
gets lulled to sleep. And so we talked about the foundation of what revival is. Revival is a drawing back, a new awakening, a bringing new life to the believer to draw you right back to that deep intimacy with God again. Connects you back with your first love. And that one of the things that can hinder us from being able to know what revival is is when we create it in a, of our own minds. That revival first starts with being rooted in God's word. And out of understanding God's word and who he describes himself to be, then there's our own sins that can kind of be like strings that are attached to us, making connecting back with God that much more difficult. And we talked about how confession is like the scissors that would cut those sins. Confession is, the, uh, is a tool that frees us up to be able to reconnect with a beautiful and holy God. But then God gives this list. He gets excited to see his people reconnect and recommit and be revived. So join me, chapter 9, verse 38. It says, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And then there's some familiar names, you know, names that are some of y'all have in your family, like uh, Malkijah, <laughs> Hashabiah, Maluk, you know, any, any Maluks around? The, the, these names, family... Are, are trying to help us all get a sense that as we look through the entire chapter of 10, we're getting a glimpse into the whole community. That each of these names represent a tribe and a group of people that are saying, hey, what God is about, I'm willing to put my stamp on that. I'm willing to represent this family of being uh, connected in, in God, I'm willing to recommit that we're going to be about these different truths. Your list, God, we are down to rock with, and I'm going to represent the whole family. So the beauty even of this list, and even in the beginning of verse 28, where it says the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites and the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, what he's saying there is this is a unit. This is community. A communal response brings forth revival, not just one individual person. So the first thing on this list of six things that I'm going to draw from chapter 10 from God is, I want you as a community. I want you unified. I want, some, some, I want oneness. And the people of God here all come together to say we're down for that God. Continue reading with me. Verse 28. The temple service and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands uh, to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules 
and his statutes. You know, the, the, the separation of this people had nothing to do with real estate. They needed to be separate because they was operating kind of with a Vegas mentality. When we go to Vegas, what we do in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, they were operating with a, a, a red light district mentality. They were kicking it with cultures who had behaviors and ethics totally different from that of God. So God is saying, I'm separating y'all, not because I'm trying to make a pure race or anything crazy like that. I'm separating you guys because your values are different than that of the world. And while you're living in this mixed community, you're doing stuff that you have no business doing. No business doing. And so God was calling his people out. But look at, how he, look at how he speaks to them in verse 29. He says, join with your brothers and nobles and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. This is what we call a covenant. This is what we call a, a, an, an agreement. Some people in the, in the house have bought a, bought a house before. Some people in here have bought a car. And you know when you buy something, they're excited to give you the keys because they're excited to receive your payments. Cool, well, hey, they treat you, they call you all nice stuff. Hi, sir, how are you doing today? Ma'am, it's so great to see you. Look at your hair, oh, it's so nice. Just sign on the dotted line. But come up short on one of those payments. The posture changes, don't it? Where my money at? It starts to be a difference, and so we know what covenants are because we've entered into covenants, and covenants are agreements between two people, like a contract. But this is a little different because the biblical covenant used to happen between a king and a servant, where the king was saying, I'm going to provide you protection, and I'm going to provide you provision, and what I ask for you as a servant is your life. Commit to me. And God is saying... (laughs) Kings change. Kings will fail you. Kings will fall. I am the king of kings. I provide. I guide. Will you give me your life? And so the people respond in unity saying, we are down for this. We are signing up for this. But it's a little weird for us to understand this this covenant. And this covenant is a little unique because it has conditional aspects to it. If you do this, then I will do this. I will bless, but I will also curse. And for me, like, I, I wrap my mind around it from, from, from something I call at, at theology. You know what I mean? And so can you, let me hear you say at, at theology. All right, so you, you got the little baby in the house. And the baby started learning how to walk. No, baby learns how to crawl. And the baby starts looking at them steps. Now the baby, going towards the steps, looks back at you, sees you, and what do you say to the baby? I, I, don't, 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 you, don't you go near that. And, and, and what you're preparing the baby for is if you keep going, I'm going to have to give you a consequence. I'm not going to stay back and simply let you fall down the steps, which I could do. I could let this be an utter demise of yours, and I guess you'll probably learn the lesson. Or 
I can, I can, I, I, I can give you that warning that maybe a spanking is going to come if you keep rebelling. You see, the blessing and the curse approach that God has given them isn't something where God is trying to punish his people. Even in the curses, he's saying, I'm loving you. I'm trying to protect you from an utter demise that you can't even fathom. So I might have to send a a people to put you in captivity and mess up your homeland and break down your walls. But I'm still your God. I still love you. I still protect you. Remember that covenant we entered into? I still got you. And so we see a, a, a beautiful illustration of God saying, you are mine, I am yours, and I'm going to bless you when you listen, but you're going to feel it when you don't. I have just a caveat for those that don't know the beauty of the fullness of God's word. I'm thankful, and we preach here God's new covenant, so we are not in that same paradigm now. We are not in an if-then experience now, but you still don't ignore the beauty of how God has moved and spoken throughout history. Amen? Amen. We spent a, a whole sermon breaking down the beauty and need for God's word in this series. And so I, I love that even here it just keeps, keeps getting restated uh, in verse 29. The, oh, I got off my page. Enter into curse and oath to walk in God's law, in God's law. Verse 30, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Take their daughters for our sons. Have you ever, have you ever been cheated on? I, I, I remember I was in elementary. I ain't going to say the grade because kids, y'all ain't supposed to be. All right. So I was in elementary and, and I, I walked little girl home talking and sealed, sealed the deal with the KIWS. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm here. I'll be married to her forever. Forever. It's never happened. You know, it's, it's good. A week later, walk to her place. She tells me about her sealing the deal with another dude. Family, I'm 40 years old. 40 years old. Do you know I still remember the pain and what that felt like when I was in elementary school? It pains God's heart when we are willing to align our values, our morals, and our hearts with someone who does not reflect him. It hurts. And so this is not about God wanting to be so controlling over the little person that you're going to marry. It is God saying, am I your first love? If so, then allow your life to line up with me. Allow Maybe the greatest decision that you'll make of who you're going to join and be unified with to be aligned with who I am. But we don't get off the hook if we're not married, right? 
We don't get off the hook if we are married. Because what this is exposing today is any of any idols that we would be tempted to draw close to that don't reflect God. What, 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 what relationships are we in that we know we shouldn't be? What, what things have our hearts and our attention and our minds that eyes that get more than a, more of us than it should? I, uh, I love that it's pointing towards a heart issue and a devotion to God and not about people because even in the Old Testament, I mean, we have Ruth who's not from the Jewish crew who gets her own book of the Bible. You know what I mean? We got Rahab who's not from the Jewish crew who ends up in the lineage of Jesus. You know, so it's not about trying to protect the perfect people. It's about representing a heart for a beautiful God and, and showing worship through even who we do life with. Turn with me in verse 31. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every date. So thus far, my list starts with community. There was a, a unifying voice that said, we're going to be about this together for God's glory. Second was separating ourselves, not acting like the world, actually having God's ethics and morals be the compass by which we do things, and we do things different. Third, that we enter into a covenant that we're saying, God, you are in control. You are our God. You are our king. And therefore, we turn over all of our lives to you. That marriage would be something we use as a God-honoring tool for you, not something that we use to break your heart. Now we're at the point of Sabbath rest, Sabbath rest. And this one is real. Um, this one is, this one is, uh, this is a, the, the, the one of all. So the beauty of each of these aspects of what God's word is saying is that you might struggle with one more than another. You, you may struggle and really desire to, to have behaviors that connect with your previous life before Christ. But it's not hard for you to, to um, read God's word. Or you may uh, have an, it might be easier for you to confess, but not. And so the one that kind of jumps out as I see the rhythm of our church is what does it look like for us to rest well? What does it look like for us to be rejuvenated in Christ? Um, this is an Old Testament expectation. It is a law at that time that had a number of stipulations with when you rested, how you rested, how long you rested. But I want to speed it up a little bit to get us to the New Testament so we have the full understanding. Uh, In Colossians 2, 16, uh, 17, it says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or a what? These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Romans 14.5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. What am I trying to get at, y'all? I'm trying to get at the the beauty that God gives us in freedom. Today, there is not a requirement that you must do the Sabbath in a certain way. What I do think God desires and requires of you is rest and rest in him. And that one of you may choose rest in him on Monday nights. Somebody else might choose Saturday afternoon. Somebody else might take the whole day and that we would not begin to say who's the one that's really spiritual in the room or how dare you take that long or why are you doing Friday nights? Like, no, that there's great freedom. But but is it a part of our rhythm? I don't even see y'all. Is it a part of my rhythm to, to rest well? Not rest, as, as Nate preached once, as, as far as leisure, like, yeah, let me just go. Not leisure. We're talking about, like, intentionally making myself available to experience God, which means that I might have to listen and say nothing, or I might have to cry before him. There's great variance. Do we do it? Do we see it as, as important? Do we see it as a, a rhythm that's healthy for us, that we're modeling after a holy God that believes this rest in him is real? Uh, wife and I, was, we were with the kids last week and uh, took them to see Transylvania 3. You know, we go for the good movies in our house. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was this couple in the movie. It's like the, the two wolves. And the two wolves have a wolf pack. I mean, like everywhere they go, there's like a hundred wolves, little baby wolves on them. And they like, and basically their MO is we don't, we can't do anything because we got all these kids. And they walk past on the cruise ship something that said childcare. They're like, what is childcare? And they drop off the kids, walk out, and they look at each other and say, what do we do now? What, what do we, we don't know what to do now. Like we never, and, and I, and I kind of think some of us have that same rhythm where we're so active, we're so involved, we're so going that if we stopped for a moment and God says, I'm so happy to be here with you, we'd be like, I don't know what to do with you, God. Like, what am what, what is this supposed to look like now? I confess that it, that it is me. And I'm thankful that I have an elder team that loves me and a wife that loves me and a church that loves me that continues to point me towards having that rhythm of rest. But I don't think I'm alone. And I think God is speaking clearly here about, man, there's, there's beauty. There's a need there's a reason why Sabbath is important. Might not be structured in the way that Nehemiah's people experienced it, but still valuable for us today. And so we have uh, community separating ourselves, covenant, marriage, 
Sabbath rest. But maybe one of the hiccups for you might be one that Jesus kind of shares as he's training and teaching. He says in, uh, I believe it's Matthew 19, starting at verse 23, God says, and uh, did I put that up there? Yeah, okay. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. Continue with me to verse 32. And, and, and verse 32 on is this laundry list trying to help us see that we as God's people are called to give. Give financially as well as give of our efforts and our energy. We also, in verse 32, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give a yearly, a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring into the house of our God, according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord, our God, as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring the Levites from the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor." And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe and the tithes of the house of our God to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Amen. This is a, it's a unique sermon here because it's, it's not trying to tell you uh, here's all the little like festivals and ways that we do offerings and you need to do each one. Actually, what's happening is, is God's trying to show that there's a variety of ways that community can offer unto God. And now you ask yourself, what does my offering look like? I mean, there's a baseline of giving financially, but there's also a giving out of uh, what they would call in-kind gift of your effort, of your energy, of your investment, that if you don't have the finances, you still are worshiping unto the Lord through giving. We had an example of this that will uh, forever go down in my mind, and I probably have shared this four times, but I'll probably share it four more in 2019, so just be ready. 
uh, there was a sister in our body, and this sister worked for a living on her feet. Between six to ten hour shifts, she worked on her feet. And she came to us and said, Pastor, uh, I would love to care for the church by cleaning it. So outside of working a 40-plus hour week on her feet, she would then come to the church, this church, and clean these pews, vacuum this floor, clean those toilets. Do you think that I would say to her she wasn't giving a tithe? She wasn't giving an offering? Like, no. No, not at all. But, but there is also things that the church has to do. And, and we usually don't even question finances until it's something we don't like, you know? Like, like yesterday, I mean, we had beautiful pumpkins. We had hay. We had donuts, cider, candy, cookies. You know, the list go on and on. I didn't see one of y'all come in there like, why is all my tithe money going to these pumpkins? No, no, we, we, we don't get, we don't get kind of a little frustrated until we think. And so it's one of the reasons why we as a church try to lay and be transparent with you guys about our aims as a church and even how we spend the finances. Every February, we do a budget meeting so that you can know, Lord, I'm being a steward to you above Mac. I'm being a steward to you above Pastor Leon. I'm being a steward to you. So you've called me to give. We will not neglect the house of our God. Okay. But the beauty of this passage is that it all happens in local community. So now you've got to feel like, like you are in a safe place to affirm the giving practices of this church. So I can, I can let you know some of them. Because they range from uh, helping people who need food to uh, helping people at times fix their cars to uh, in the winter when you come in with that big coat on and you want to be warm, paying the DTE bill. Uh, you want to flush the toilet, paying the water bill. Like it, the range is big. What we want you to know is that we are trying to be faithful stewards with every dollar given towards the advancement of God's kingdom physically, but also how he moves through people. So a portion of your giving goes towards my salary and Jenny's salary. We, we see that in these words, too, that the Levites are, are, are receiving from the people, but they're even called to tithe. Because I don't, I, don't, I don't stop worshiping because I'm a pastor, worship happens through us giving of ourselves physically, but also financially. So I tithe as well. And, and, I am, and we are all here trying to worship the Lord and see revival happen in this community. And it's kind of crazy because I'm really trying to think of the last time I even talked about finances in our church. I don't know when that's been, but this is healthy for me. Because if I can be honest, I, I, get, I get a little scared to talk about finances with people. But God is reminding me that finances is a tool to use for worship. 
So why should I be scared? Why should I be afraid? It is a means by which we are praising God, saying, God, for a moment, I'm reminded that everything in this checkbook you gave me, everything. So to be able to give a portion back to you for the advancement of your kingdom is is my pleasure. It is my delight. And I invite you guys into it, not because I invite you guys into it because I want you to be able to worship. And I worship with you. We worship with you. And so we had this uh, list that God, God blessed us with in, this, in these verses. Uh, we was able to focus on community, having, having behaviors and ethics that are different. So we separate ourselves from the world and that way we behave in a different way. A covenant where we are agreeing that God is going to be the one who cares for and provides for us. And we need to respond with an obedient heart. Marriage that, that demonstrates our values and what we will align to and commit to will be God-honoring. That in the midst of trying to serve, work hard, love hard, enjoy God's creation, that we will rest. And lastly, that we will be a people who give and give out of a worshipful heart. The new covenant that God gives can be explained by a variety of verses, but I I love these two. Because what I don't want you to do as we get ready to leave is leave feeling a burden of, man, I still have to get it all right. Now I got to give perfectly, rest perfectly, do community perfectly, because if I do all that, then God will do this. Like, that is not what we are saying here. That is not, we can't control or manipulate God's hand. What I will say, though, is that I I see in these scriptures the, the beauty of what revival looks like on both sides. Like when you think revival, immediately most people think of the Acts 2, Acts type revival, which is a beautiful picture of God's spirit moving. You got folks understanding stuff in languages that's not even their own, and like you got all this stuff happening. But here, it seems like a bit more of the practical aspect of revival. How when a person says, I haven't really been living for you, Lord, and I'm going to start taking steps to doing that again, that that's revival as well. That I'm going to start reading the word again. I'm going to start confessing when I sin. I'm going to start being in community with people who reflect you so that when I am out in the world, I am built up to be able to withstand and be a light in the world versus being influenced by the world. I'm going to allow idols to be cast down and, and, and my marriage and what I align to, to 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 show you my love for you. I'm going to rest. Family, are you starting to see if we recommit to these things, what can, what can happen within our midst? That that's an example of revival as well. Matthew 5, 17 says this. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not, I have 
not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then we get this image of what Jesus fulfilling these things looks like in Jeremiah 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor. uh, So each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. All of these different aspects of God's list are pointing us towards that end goal of experiencing his new covenant, of experiencing the forgiveness of our sins. But have you accepted that? Is it mental knowledge? Is it an awareness? Or is it something that, like Sabbath rest, has now freed you? If you desire to experience that freedom, we at MACAB would love to journey with you. I personally will be up here after the, service, after the sermon, after the service, and would love to talk with you if you want to experience that freedom that God gives in this new covenant. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are um, we are uh, thankful that you give us revival, that you birth new life in your church and draw us back closer to you. Guide us, Father, so that we can bring your heart joy. Guide us, Father, so that we can celebrate you and love you. Guide us, Father, so that we can confess when we do wrong and be quick to be restored by you. Lead us, Father. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Family, we are continuing in our time of worship. Um, Our sisters are coming forward uh, and the brothers are coming forward in a minute. What we are doing, family, is a time of tithe and offering as well as uh, a time of communion. Uh, tithe and offering, you know what? I just spl- explained tithe and offering pretty extensively. So I think you know what it is. Uh, but if you are new to Mac or uh, if you are new to what it means to worship the Lord, we say please don't feel obligated to give. Um, we would love to see you. If today's your first day of loving the Lord and you want to give, go for it. But don't feel like you're doing this out of obligation. We want this to be out of worship, and we're thankful that you're here. Um, You know, I had planned to say this in the sermon, but I'm I'm just going to take a a 30-second snippet. Uh, My sister Alicia, is it up yet? Uh, Did we get the new slide, Jenny? Not yet? Okay. So my sister Alicia had brought before us and was like, hey, it'd be cool to have a slide that says, for people who desire to give online, like that, that that happens uh, and for most of our church family, most of you give online. Um, 
which means that when our tithe and offering basket goes around, it, is the, it, it can seem very empty. It can seem like our church does not give and is not generous. And I want to say, like of all of the things I was sharing as I'm teaching you about tithes and offering and about giving, our church is a very generous church. You are a very generous people. But one of our elders had mentioned this, and it's been sticking with me since he said it, that, that there's something that is captured even in, in these scriptures when we all give together, that it reminds us that even our giving is worship and we lose a taste of that when we just click a button at home. So I'm, I'm, I haven't landed the plane yet, and elders don't beat me up, uh, but, but I'm, I'm wondering what it would even look like to possibly write a check instead of clicking online or still taking an envelope and just write, putting something in the envelope that says online gave already and you put it in. Not for the sake of like doing a tradition, but for the sake of us being reminded that we all give together and that there's a worship that we do in community even of our giving. So family, be praying to that end. Sorry, I went on a, on a tithe rant, but I, 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 I believe it connects deeply to what, what the scriptures have just expounded to us, which is that our giving is a communal thing as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. And then we're going to do communion.